And the simplest, the most important question to ask as a lender, anybody doing a hard money loan is, would you be happy if you owned that property? Because the whole beauty of lending when your security is, if you don't get paid, you're going to get the property. So you either get your payments and the principal, or you get the property. That's the beauty of secured lending. Hey guys, welcome back to the Kingdom REI podcast. Great to have you here. Listen, I was just so excited to share good people with you. That's why I love doing this show. And uh, as many of you know, or some of you may know or not know, I just moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. And excited to give a big update about that in a later podcast. But for today, I have another great guest on here who's in the Gilbert area uh, outside of Phoenix. So we're going to get him introduced here in just a minute. But also want to officially recognize, I know I did this quick last time, but I want you guys to get to know Nick, Nick Stromwall. What's up, man? Hey, brother. Excited to be here. I've been chatting up our guests. I'm just really excited about this, this episode and honestly just glad to be a part of What's what God is doing through this podcast of encouraging kingdom-minded entrepreneurs to develop epic businesses that are going to create incredible impact for kingdom purposes. So I just can't wait to see what the Lord is going to do through this podcast. Yeah, so Nick's been our director of operations for the last 12 months. He just moved into a COO position with Kingdom REI and going to really uh, be a main influencer in a lot of areas. So I wanted you guys to get to know him and start to hear his voice because you'll probably get to hear and see a lot more of Nick over the months and years uh, here at Kingdom REI. So uh, Nick got a cool story too, man. I mean, you can share real quick, Nick, but you were in ministry for 10 years uh, with the same industry I was a part of, Campus Outreach out of Minneapolis. And then you accomplished a lot in the last 12 months. Just speak to that real quick. I know we want to bring Jean, uh, John on, but will you, um, will you just just share just share a quick thing so our audience can get to know you a little bit too? Yeah, love my time on staff with this campus ministry 15 years building leaders and laborers on local campuses in the Twin Cities. Got this bug for wanting to build a business and using the vehicle of real estate as an opportunity to produce resources uh, for all the different things that we want to get behind and support. And honestly, we just see so many needs in our community. One, one person can't do it alone, but when you build a business and you bring other people in, you can really truly make incredible impact. So joined King REI about two years ago, have you know really jumped in, learned how to do capital raising, I partnered on four separate projects and just finishing up a capital raise um, over a million dollars in the energy space uh, working as a fund-to-fund -fund manager. It's just been a true joy to partner with at least six people within the King Maria community on multifamily, industrial, and now energy projects. Yeah, amazing, man. That's that's getting after it, bro, in a year. So uh, Nick's just having a And guys, if you want to learn about any of these programs we're doing, um, Nick, where do they go Like for our, our next our um accelerator program yeah we got them all listed oneconnectionaway.com slash 2024 you can see all the different programs that we're coming out with uh, for this new year and just really excited that we have a, a place for everyone to really plug in uh, to get around other kingdom-minded entrepreneurs amazing all right let's get in the show guys uh just uh this is part of the show but I, i'm excited to to introduce to you guys john and Man, we just we had an incredible pre-show, and this this brother's passion for the Lord and for business, I think, is going to be really encouraging to everyone. John, the only thing I didn't I didn't get to ask you, man, is how to pronounce your last name. So I'm, I'm just going to go for it because you know that's just what we do. So everybody, welcome to the show, John Clink Clinkhammer Hammer, John Clinkhammer, Clinkhammer. Yep, just like a few times, but I nailed yeah. it, John Clinkhammer. Yeah, welcome, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Really honored to be with you guys today. 
great to have you here. And will you give our audience, I mean, I know we're going to get into your story a little bit, but just in current, like current, current snapshot of kind of what, you know, how you're influencing the real estate space and, and give yeah. us a snapshot on kind of some of the things we're looking forward to talking to today. Uh, I think real estate is just one of the most incredible vehicles in the world, uh, obviously to build wealth. But, you know, Ellis, the bit I know of your story, uh, really similar to you, I saw real estate. I learned about it from a friend who was a young life leader. So he was a volunteer young life leader with me while I was on staff. So I was getting paid, you know, getting a paycheck to do the ministry. He was a volunteer. And it felt to me at times like he had a greater impact than me and more freedom to do ministry. And that was fueled by his real mm -hmm. estate investments. Mm -hmm. So it kind of got me scratching my head going, holy smokes, you know, like, um, so anyways, that's what kind of got me into it. Nick and I were talking about Young Life in the pre-show. That's a huge part of my ministry is Young Life here in Arizona. And then my church, New Valley Church, just being involved, uh, served as an elder at my church. And then um, for me, discipleship and mentoring, just helping people either come to know the Lord or grow in their Lord, that's like my life mission. That's what I'm called to. It's kind of my unique ability and it's strategic coach. If there's anybody out there that kind of knows that terminology, it's like what I was made to do. And real estate is like the fuel and structure for that. And I was telling Nick in the pre-show as well, not only does real estate fuel me for that, it actually gives me opportunities to do that within it. So I've seen God do things with tenants, with borrowers, with vendors, with employees, like just in the work even of doing real estate investing, there's so much opportunity for influencing one another, you know, and spurring one and on. One, one another on helping each other draw nearer to the Lord or grow in their relationship with the Lord. And so real estate's just the vehicle for that in the similar way that my daughter is a collegiate, uh, collegiate volleyball player. Her coach tells her, you guys, volleyball is just the medium in which we're going to grow as disciples of Christ. Yeah. And I love that vision. It's like volleyball is the thing we're doing, but it's yeah, not man. the end goal in of itself, right? Volleyball is the vehicle that God's going to build our character and our strength. And so I just see real estate investing as the same, same thing. It's like the vehicle, the medium. Yeah, I think that's so, you know, coming out of a ministry background, I'm so grateful for the scholarship I got in that ministry too, because after, I don't think I've ever told the story. It's pretty embarrassing to be honest with you, but you said you were going to share something risque today. So I'm going to start <laughs> so you feel comfortable. I remember telling this dude in college, we're sitting, I was a senior in college. I was about to go into full-time ministry. So like, you know, I was on my high horse because I'm about to go serve God in full-time ministry. And I'm like, so bro, what are you going to go do? And he's like, I think I'm going to go home and I'm going to go, I'm going to go work in construction. <laughs> and this is where it gets ugly. I remember telling that guy, like, you're going to go waste your life. Like you're going to go waste your life going to work in a job. And there was, there was real um, passion and zeal for the Lord behind that. But I totally missed the idea that someone could actually serve God in the context of work and business. And, you know, there was a real disservice to that young man um, at that time in my life. And <laughs> I think I've, I've, I've helped a lot more since then. So I hope yeah. the Lord, I believe the Lord will forgive me, but it's true. Right. And I think it's, it's, it's so right on man. If your heart is for God and he can use you a thousand ways um, more than that, to be honest with you, but I, I've made the same mistake Ellis. And I think those of us who've been in full-time ministry, sometimes we go into not everybody, but sometimes I know for me, my motive going into full-time ministry was I want to serve the Lord. And that seemed like the only way to do it. So I'm leaving the workforce to go serve the Lord. And then it's like, when I came back into the business world, I realized, man, wherever I was, 
before I was in full-time ministry, I was also in full-time ministry too. I just didn't realize it. You know, mm -hmm. my job title might've been this or whatever. I work for this company, but I'm still in full-time ministry. And it took me a long time for God to really help me see that. And now I believe it more than ever, you know, and I want to help other people believe it. Like, doesn't matter what your job is, what your employer is, what real estate deal you're working on, where your paycheck comes from. If you're doing laundry, if you're picking up the dog poop in the yard, like you, you're, you're ready for ministry. It's all ministry. There is no sacred, sacred, secular divide. And yeah. I'm trying to tear that wall down because that wall keeps kind of trying to pop up into my life again. I start segmenting things and it's just, it's not what we're designed for. Yeah. I mean, especially when I'm from the South, right? So now moving to Phoenix, I, I would imagine there is not as it is like that, but I mean, I still, there's a lot of church. I mean, dude, there's a lot of churches in Scottsdale. I mean, it's, I'm gonna feel like I'm back in the Bible belt. There's a lot of churches around here, man. It's crazy. <laughs> Who would have thought? My daughter is going to school in Rome, Georgia. And someone last time I was there goes, I go, there's a lot of churches here. There's a hundred Baptist churches in this little town. And they go, yeah, if you picture the Bible belt here, Rome is the Bible belt of the Bible belt. Yeah. That's, what <laughs> so, That's yes. crazy. Yeah. I don't Scottsdale. know. Scottsdale. It's got it, man. No doubt. I don't know how many good Southern Baptist churches they got here, though. So they're probably they're probably a little light on the Southern Baptist movement. I think I, I'm just guessing at that, but it ain't like Rome, Georgia. That's for sure. <laughs> hey, well, let me pray for us. And then, Nick, man, why don't you kick us off with kind of um, trying to get into into John's story? So, God, we thank you for today. We pray blessing over this podcast show and we pray blessings over our, our listeners who wherever they're at, you're riding in your car, you're listening on the treadmill, um, you're maybe at work. And we just pray blessing over you that this this show would bless you, this episode would bless you, John's story would bless you, uh, and and cause you to have energy and zeal for the Lord in your work today. And we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Yeah, John, it's it so cool to hear kind of in the the pre episode here of just kind of a little bit of your story. So just kind of let no, listeners know what, how did you get into your your field now, and what what was it like transitioning from the context of of young life ministry into starting your business. Uh, well, I shared about that friend who was the leader, you know, and his rentals were freeing him up for ministry. So I realized for me, the, the, the skills that were needed as a full-time minister weren't really what I wanted to do, weren't really what I was best equipped to do. And I was really interested in real estate, the numbers, the process. And so um, the transition was, I mean, it was hard in a sense, starting anything new and starting in real estate, you know from scratch is tough. I grew up in a real estate family, but not necessarily real estate investing. So I borrowed some money to just get started and did a couple of flips. At first, it was HUD foreclosures back in the 90s. Um, I did some lease options because I saw that as a neat way to potentially generate some cash up front, some yield, and help people who wanted to buy a house kind of get into home ownership. So I kind of learned that field. And then rentals, I wanted to keep some rentals. Um, so that's kind of how I got started. I did fix and flip full-time for quite a long season. That was a blast. And I raised capital into individual deals. So I would put investors specifically on fix and flips and I would secure them in a deed of trust position. That kind of got me to ready for the hard money lending business, which is our main, main fund now. So the fix and flips really helped me kind of raise some capital, get a group together. And then I had this crazy experience where I had a terrible boat, boating accident that kind of changed the trajectory of my life. And God changed my life through it. And out of that really came the real estate funds that we're, that we're running today. Yeah, you teased us a little bit there with the boat. You got to tell us the story now. What happened? <laughs> oh, man. So 
uh, there's a lake near where you've moved to Ellis and I love the lake. So don't take this story as the, you know, it's a bad lake, but it's called Saguaro Lake and I water skied there a lot. So I was out water skiing with some friends and my family and uh, I was mostly driving. It's the end of the day and my friends driving the boat were kind of heading in towards the dock and um, I dropped the ski into the water signal come around. And as the boat that was pulling me is coming around, uh, it hit kind of two waves and some wood at the same time, got kind of thrown out of position. So the driver uh, gets thrown away from controls of the boat in a high speed turn. So by the time, thankfully, nobody got thrown out of the boat because my kids were in the boat at like five and eight years old, plus my wife, some friends. Thankfully, nobody was thrown out of the boat. But by the time he got control back of the boat, I was run over. I just see the boat coming at me in a high speed turn and it hits me and um, I just got destroyed. Um, I couldn't breathe and I saw blood in the water. So I'm no medical expert, but I'm like, I'm done for like, this is it. I'm, I'm out of here, you know? And it was such a powerful, a terrifying moment, but such a powerful moment for me as a follower of Jesus, because I've kind of thought my whole life, I hope when I face death, I would respond this way in faith and trust. Right. But this was like the first time I was, I was absolutely convinced I'm dying right now. I mean, I can't breathe and there's blood in the water, so I'm done. And, um, I just remember saying out loud, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. And in hindsight, next couple of days in the hospital, what was amazing about that to me is it wasn't like, Oh crap, I'm out of here. I'm dying. It actually was genuinely like, I'm coming home. I'm coming to the place I'm made for. I'm coming to be with you. And I didn't really realize that in the moment because it was chaos and adrenaline and screaming. But like later I was thinking like, wow, how, like I wasn't, death has no sting for me. And I, and that's true. And that's not because I have great faith or whatever. That's because God secured this for me. He mm. forgave my sins and applied that to my heart by the Holy spirit. And I know it's true. And I know when facing death, I just know that's true. So in one sense, that was like one of the greatest moments in my life, even though it was the, one of the worst moments of my life, um, because it really showed me this is real. So my son had to call 911. He was like eight. Um, I got pulled in the boat. And uh, this is the my embarrassing revelation for the day. So I'm laying in the boat and um, I'm torn up. <clears throat> my bathing suit is shredded because the propeller hit my leg and my body's also torn up because the outdrive I'm just I'm bleeding and shredded and um, I asked my friend who's kind of holding me together hey can you check my penis and see if I still have it like if I still have one you know like this is this is showing my kind of priority system from an earthly standpoint this is like what I'm hey, most worried about I get you know? it man that's 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 key you know like I mean that, that would that's <laughs> my wife my wife's like later like if it would have been gone did you just want to like go to heaven and i was like i don't <laughs> yeah i don't think i should answer that question right how now. hard am i gonna fight um, the rest of this day yeah, right like yeah. that, was, that was the question so good friend he checked for me and um so why didn't your wife walk. why didn't your how come you didn't ask your wife she was driving she was trying to get the boat in and got uh it, got it. yeah my friend on. was holding me together there's a lot going on and she would have been she would have probably been pretty angry because she's like i'm trying to get the boat into the helicopter and you need to stay focused on that okay bro so yeah so John, I, is that, the, that can't be the risque part about your story that you were telling me about like well so tell there, me there's a me second the, there's a second little part to that okay so so they, the chopper flies me to the hospital and a, a cool moment of faith for my kids this is god's like glory in my kids my son's watching me fly away. He grabs my daughter, who's I think around four at the time, and is comforting her and says, Abby, 
<clears throat> you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but he wanted to read to her something from the Psalms and just say, God's good. No matter what happens, God is good. Mm-hmm. And that was just a beautiful moment, kind of like my own faith, like showing me what God had done for my children, that the faith mm-hmm. was was real and coming alive in them. Um, so anyways, flown to the hospital, they started doing surgery. And the next morning, here's the second part of the my goofy stuff, uh, is the, one of the first guys. So they sew me up. I'm waking up out of my first surgery. I see my wife and my kids. The next guy I see is a buddy of mine who goes, everybody in the you know, waiting room was joking about me being so concerned about my penis, right? So they're all joking about that all night long while I'm at surgery. So he walks up to me and the first thing he says is I got good news and I got bad news. Um, and uh, I go, well, give me the bad news. And he goes, you did lose some of your penis. Like it, it got destroyed by the propeller. And I go, well, what's the good news then? And he goes, the good news is there's still like eight inches left. So I think you're going to be okay. <laughs> and And I was like- I was so on drugs and like just trying to sort it out. I didn't realize he was joking. I was trying to make sense of it. And then real slowly, I kind of caught the drift of his humor. Yeah, and awesome. um, I should probably get away from penis jokes on this podcast. But <laughs> I was going to make another one that probably wouldn't be appropriate as well. But that's, uh, you know, uh, we have a I'll, I'll make sure to put in your, bi- your bio, well-endowed John Clean <laughs> Gamer joins yeah. the Kingdom REI uh, show. I don't know. It's probably <laughs> funny because it, it's he probably made the joke because it's not true. I don't know. Anyways. Um, what's so cool about that too, John, is like, you know, the, the goal of every parent, every dad is to pass on the faith to their kids and to have an eight-year-old grab his little sibling and go to the word of God just speaks testimonies to how you've led your family, that your eight-year-old would would know to do that and would be providing comfort. And having three yeah. boys, 11, nine, and six, like I, I dream when that when that day comes when something yeah. happens that that my oldest son would, would grab his younger brothers and 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 remind them of something comforting um from the yeah. road. that's that's amazing it's yeah. one of the biggest hopes for my life that i really genuinely believe god is present in the worst and the hardest things and that my son was believing that and living on that in faith yeah i'm just super grateful for that and it really increases my faith because i see yeah it's really possible it's really possible to experience God's goodness, even when terrible things are happening and to see how God redeems these terrible things. Yeah. Amen. So John, bring us into your business model then in terms of how, what you're focused in on the real estate space. And I know you guys have your own funds that you're doing, but tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, hard money lending, kind of finishing the boat story and answering your question. Uh, I couldn't fix and flip much because I was nine surgeries. I was in the hospital for a month and then I was on opioid drugs for a year and then trying to get off opioid drugs for a year. So I had this two year season where at least a year I couldn't drive and do fix and flips. So I needed something I could do from my phone and my laptop and a little bit more passive. So I, I, I started hard money lending because I'd always wanted to do that. I borrowed hard money loans before as a fix and flipper. And what I loved about lending was like, hey, as a fix and flipper, I might make money, but I might lose money. But guess who always makes money? If the loan's good, the hard money lender is making that money. And so, and my dad had told me when I was a kid, and then when I started leveraging for real estate, he said, hey, the sooner you can be the lender and not the borrower, that's really powerful. So anyways, at that time, I transitioned into hard money lending, and that's the core of our business right now. It's called Clink Loans Fund. It's a pooled fund. And our mission is to increase the joy of real estate investing. Mm. The second way we describe that is, access real estate investments without tenants and toilets because lending is a way that we're secured by that real estate generating a return from that 
real estate, but we're not responsible for the tenants or the toilets. And so that's kind of a nice feature. So our main fund is a hard money lending fund that pays investors nine and a half percent. It's a eight pref, eight percent pref plus a 50 percent profit runs about nine and a half to 10 percent and it pays monthly. So my favorite thing about hard money loans is, in my opinion and experience so far, it's the safest way in real estate to get like a double digit return with nice monthly income. So I just, I love hard money lending. It's kind of the core of what we do. And then we've added on a few other funds that are equity and have higher yields, but hard money lending is really the, the core of what we do. So, and do you, is your fund diversify across different projects or is everyone yeah. in one, one project? Yeah. It's a pooled fund. So we have about 200 properties represented in our fund. Mm -hmm. So when someone puts money in that fund, they own a piece of all of these loans, which are secured by about 200 properties. It's all Arizona real estate and it's all Arizona investment real estate. Mm -hmm. um, so it's called business purpose or hard money loans on investment properties. So I got two questions that come up for me is one, I want to know how you vet 200 different deals, you know, that, that you, you know, how, how you're vetting all these properties. And then two is I like, Teach me on there's like I guess my big question is like where are we at, you know, from a from a cycle standpoint and how the single family space is being impacted, uh, yeah. especially as we're you know with interest rates and whatnot. So I mean, even think like nine percent in my opinion that seems kind of I, I'm curious what you're charging now. It just seems low if that's the rate you're charging borrowers because like I know what my multifamily my multifamily deals are like without a rate cat would be around that right now. So we're we're charging borrowers around twelve. Okay. And we're paying investors nine and a half net net after yeah. management fee, profit splits, and all expenses. Yeah, that so still feels pretty competitive in my opinion, right? 12%. We we are. A lot of hard money lenders in Arizona will get 13, 14, 15%. And here's here's our methodology, and it's proven true. I used to get like 17%. Back when rates were 17, 18, we would get 17. Then when they dropped to like 15, 14, we did that. And I found I could go find some 17% deals. And on paper, that sounds way better. 17 right. is better than 15. But the problem is, why is someone paying on the high end of that interest rate? Because there's a lot more hard money lenders out there. And we can run criminal background credit. We can check the property comp. Like we can do our due diligence super fast these days. So why is someone willing to pay 17 if one lender would give them 15 or someone else 14? And the answer is almost always there's hair on the deal. It's a mm -hmm. bad borrower or a bad property or a bad exit. So what I found is if the hard money range in Phoenix, let's call it 10 to 14 right now. I think that's the range, 10 to 15, let's call it, right? Uh, I find being at 12 lets me cherry pick the best borrowers with great credit, clean criminal, good pro good properties, good LTV and good exits. So I'm not trying to squeeze the last drop of lemon out there. What I actually want to do as a lender, so there's two philosophies in lending. Some people in the world uh, are predatory lenders. They want to lend to get the property. And I, for me as a believer, in, as a follower of Jesus, that doesn't seem right unless, you know, like there's some problems with it. I'm not saying it's all bad, but that's just not my wheelhouse. I want to help my customer a borrower be successful and be happy and make money. So I'd rather lend in such a way that I get my payments on time and I get paid off my principal. It's a successful loan because now mm -hmm. my borrower is successful. And then our company as, as lenders and investors, we can be as successful as possible. So I found by charging in the lower middle of the rate spectrum, I can cherry pick the best borrowers and the best projects. Simply put, I'd rather get a 12% yield and have zero defaults, which is what we do, versus get 14, 15% mm. and have 10% default because the industry 
average for hard money lenders is about 10, five to 10% default rate. Well, when you have a default, you're filing foreclosure, you might have bankruptcies, lawsuits, angry people, damage, you got to wait for your payments, you got to go to court, you got to take over the property, deal with tenants, toilets, fix it up. And that's just not what we want to do. I would just much rather scale, do more loans and do better loans. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. why we're at 12. And then, and then what is your, I'd love to hear about your just vetting process. I mean, you talked about, uh, you mentioned three of those credit criminal. Uh, yeah. what, so is, is, is that the things you find important? If someone wants to do a hard money loan to someone, what's yeah. like your one, your check, like your, your top things that are poor. And then I'd also love to hear, man, like what's like those immediate red flags for you. Someone can be watching out for. Yeah. So we definitely run credit. Some hard money lenders don't run credit. That's their sales pitch. That to me is insane. Um, Credit tells you a lot about a history of a person. And Mm. if they've made some mistakes in the past, but they have a new track record, we can see that. Uh, We definitely run criminal background check. We definitely just straight up Google, look at social media. Who are they connected to? What do they say? What do they care about? So that's looking at the borrower. Then we look at the property and the simplest, the most important question to ask as a lender, anybody doing a hard money loan is, would you be happy if you owned that property? Because the whole beauty of lending when your security is, if you don't get paid, you're going to get the property. So you either get your payments and the principal or you get the property. That's the beauty of secured lending, right? So you're collateralized and you have this property behind it. So we own very few properties, but nonetheless, we one of our key criteria is if we own that property, would we be happy to own that property? And the key number is what's our loan to value? How much are we going to lend on it? Okay, so simple example, if the property is worth 500000 we're going to lend 400000 That's an 80% loan to value, right? That's the key number that you got to look at. Uh, and we usually stay under 70% LTV. So on 500000 we're lower than 400000 in terms of what we're owed on it. So uh, those are the main things we look at. Then we also look at their experience. So how many flips have you done? How many rentals have you done? How many refis have you done? Um, And we get addresses and we actually look at them, right? So we can pull up in the tax records and see really quickly, has this person done the deals they say they've done? Mm -hmm. And then who do you know? Who's your realtor? Who's your insurance agent? Who's your mortgage broker? Mm. And we can do a quick call to those guys and just say, how's it working with checking vendors? Yeah, that's good, man. Do they do a good job? Do they do what they say? Do they get you what you need when you need it? Because if they don't treat their mortgage broker or their realtor right, they're not going to treat us right as a as a as a lender, you know. That's and good. then and with LinkedIn and social media, it's really easy. Even though Phoenix is a big city, within seconds, I know people that know anybody who's here in town. And if right. they're brand new and never done anything in town, I don't know that they're the borrower for us, right? Like right. we we need to. We're a relational, community based kind of lender. We like lending with people we know and we're connected with. And that's really powerful because there is some lending groups that are trying to do this like fintech on a national level. And my opinion is that's a disaster. If you don't know the borrower, if you don't know the property, if you don't know the area and the community that that deal's being done in, how can you how can you do a good job with that investment? You know, so I'm a big believer in kind of local community investing where you know the people and the area and the properties. I got two two last questions for you. By the way, guys, if you want to learn more about John his business, it's it's. Uh, real quick, Johnny, the, the name of your company, Clink Hamer. Uh, it's Clink, it it's Clink Funds. It's with Clink. a K, K, K L I N K Funds, F U N D S dot com. K L I N K Funds dot com. Clink, That's like it. when the money hits your pocket, it goes clink, <laughs> clink. Is that your it's tagline? Cl- <laughs> no, but that's good. It's actually clink with a K. So K and K, but it's clink hammer. I think it was a make yeah, the money go clink. 
Okay, John, the clink. we're gonna come up. That's good, John. I like that. That's, that's good. Clink, make it go clink. That should be your new tagline, man. I like I the like joy it. thing, the joy tagline, but like you know, I'm like making money. Clink is another good one. Anyways, um, <laughs> just shows how your levels of spirituality. You're clearly, clearly beyond <laughs> me. Two things. One is how does actually someone get their name? How do you actually get in first position? Like, do you? It, you, like just from someone listening, how do you actually become yeah. in first position? Yeah. Meaning explain yeah. what that is real quick and then how you actually yeah. become it. Yeah. First position is everything. It's critical. And I would add a second thing, which is title insured. You want to be, if you're going to ever do a loan, you want to be first position title insured. So first position just means if there's multiple loans, who's recorded first and who gets paid first, right? It's kind of like who's first in line to get paid. You want to be first position. Um, and sometimes there's only one loan, but sometimes you can, in real estate deals, you can add MESDED or second or junior liens. And you want to make sure you're in first. Um, so the key is to use a title company. In Arizona, all of our deals go through escrow and title. I know some states in the U.S., you might have a title attorney, and it's similar, but a little different process. In Arizona, we use title companies. So we use a reputable title company, and then we make sure that they are giving us what's called a lender's title policy. Uh, when you do a real estate transaction, probably most of the listeners know there's title insurance, there's different uh, policies. Some protect the seller, some protect the buyer, and the one I'm talking about protects the lender, the person who's putting the money out there. Our loans, 100% required, have to have a lender's title policy, which means the title insurance company is insuring us. If we make a loan for 300000 they're saying that loan is good, secured, and recorded properly for three hundred k. And if for some reason... It ends up not being because of fraud or a mistake or whatever. The title company literally just cuts us a check. Like mm -hmm. they insure us and pay us out. So it ensures that we're properly secured and collateralized with a perfected lien recorded on that property. And the title insurance just gives the backing of that insurance company that that's done properly. Yeah. So that's really the key is to use the title company, get a lender's title policy. That's great. Uh, just on, that's I always say there's a who there's got to be a who in that process somehow who who yeah. can who can get this going. So guys, so real, last question here. I mean, clearly the easiest thing to do is is I mean passively invest in this. I mean, just so I'm clear, you're paying like if someone to go do this on their own, John. Like twelve to fifteen percent is the norm. You're paying nine and a half percent. Let's call it. They just strike a stroke a check to you, right? I mean, it's yeah. the spread of doing it on your own, in my opinion, unless you're going to do it at scale, which is what you're doing. Yeah. Doesn't seem to be worth it unless you're doing yeah. multiple. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of costs. So yeah, you might get 12%, but you got to have costs. You got to get a deed of trust. You got to pay your, you got to figure out the title insurance, the due diligence, the recording, the servicing. So you're going to have a lot of costs. Also, you're concentrated. If you do one, let's say you have 200,000 to invest. If you go do one loan at 200,000, you're all secured. You're concentrated on that one property. Um, so if something goes bad with that one property, the borrower or a bankruptcy or something, all of your 200,000 is at risk on this one property and this one borrower, right? right? What a pool fund does, our pool, it's 50 million. So you put the 200K in, you're spread across 200 other properties and if one of those properties has a problem, it means almost zero to you, like very yeah. little at all. And we're collecting all the interest and passing it forward to you. Another advantage is our investors get a K-1 passive income with QBI eligible. Whereas if you do lending yourself, you're going to get 1099 interest income. You're going to get interest income, which you're going to pay ordinary income tax on. Um, so our investors, because they're a tax partner in a company receiving passive income, for many investors, that extra bump of kind of after-tax yield is going to put them over 10 
And then a lot of our investors will um, compound monthly. So reinvest their earnings monthly. So with the reinvestment and the tax, a lot of our investors are after tax making about 12% anyways with mm. the compound growth and the tax uh, efficient K1 that they're receiving. That's so great. diversification is big benefit. Passive, you don't have to do the work of it. You're just literally direct deposit or getting the reinvestment every month. Those are kind of the benefits or differences between doing it directly on one deal or doing it in a pool fund. Guys, clink, make your money go clinkfunds.com with a K. Uh, check John out. And if you come to the Phoenix area, be sure to give him a shout as well as me. John, I really enjoyed this, man. Looking forward to getting to know you here in the uh, Phoenix area, brother, and, and grateful for, for your work and ministry and looking forward to more time together. Yeah, likewise, Ellis. Yeah, glad you're here in Arizona. You're going to love it, man. It's a good state. Yeah. Guys, if you enjoyed this show, please leave us a review, share this episode, take a screenshot right now. Go just go post it on LinkedIn and tag tag John, tag myself. We'd love to comment, meet you, get to know you. So please share this wherever you do social media and we will see you next time. Cheers, everybody.